Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our series, 2 Corinthians, Strength in Weakness. And good morning, everybody. Please open with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, the letter of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4. Kind of the bread and butter of what we like to do here at Whitefields. We like to study through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So that's what we're doing right now through the book of 2 Corinthians. Our study through this book is called Strength in Weakness. And today we find ourselves in chapter 4, looking at the first 10 verses. So please open up there and please bow your heads with me and let's pray as we open God's word. Lord, thank you that you are a God who loves us and a God who speaks to us. Lord, thank you that rather than being blinded, by Satan, Lord, you would like our eyes to be open. Lord, you would like to shine the light of the glory of the knowledge of God, Lord, in our hearts. And so we pray this morning, Lord, give us receptive hearts. Give us eyes to see. Open the eyes of our hearts so we might see glorious things in your word, that we might understand it, apply it, and Lord, be transformed by it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was the most expensive thing I had ever purchased in my life up until that point. I saved up for it for months. I set aside money from my meager missionary salary that I received back then when I was living in Hungary. And finally, after almost a year, I saved up enough money. I found a jeweler who was able to make me a custom engagement ring so I could ask my girlfriend to marry me. And when I finally got the ring, it came in this little cardboard box. And I saw that box and I was so excited because I knew that inside that box was something very valuable, something very meaningful. And on February 4th, 2004, I got down on one knee in the mud in a park and I pulled out that little box and I asked Rosemary to marry me. And when she saw that box, she was excited because she had never seen a box that cool before. No, not, not at all. It, was, it wasn't because of the box that she was excited. It was because of the treasure that was inside of that box. So Rosemary still has that ring today. But the box, I have no idea where that box is. My guess is we probably lost it in one of our moves or maybe even threw it away. But it doesn't really matter because it was just a box. It was the treasure that was contained in the box that made that box special. And I know exactly where that treasure is to this day. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul the Apostle has an important message for us that for those who trust in Jesus, we're a lot like that box which held the engagement ring. What's special about us is that God has placed the greatest treasure in the world inside of us. And now we have the honor and privilege of sharing that treasure with others. In this passage we're going to look at today, we're going to see how this treasure that is ours in Jesus can actually make us resilient. That if you have this treasure in Jesus, it makes you resilient even in the face of the most difficult circumstances. And if this treasure is inside of you, it can completely change the way you think and the way that you experience trying times, allowing you to see them as unparalleled opportunities for growth and for God's work. The title of today's message is How to Not Lose Heart in Trying Times. How to Not Lose Heart in Trying Times. And here's what we're going to see in our passage every week. I give you one sentence summary, and uh, that's also our outline 
first studying this passage. So here's what it is for us today. Love it if you'd write it down, take note of it, so that you remember it as you go from here today. But here's what it is. The light of the gospel gives us hope in trying times which provide unparalleled opportunities for growth and for God's work. So one more time, and then we're going to take that sentence and break it into two parts, and it'll be our outline for studying the passage today. The light of the gospel gives us hope in trying times, which provide unparalleled opportunities for growth and for God's work. The first part of that, the light of the gospel gives us hope in trying times. Look at verse 1 there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul the Apostle says, Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Losing heart. How many of you have ever gotten to the point in your life where you have lost heart in regard to life or in regard to some thing that you are involved in, some endeavor? To lose heart means to become so discouraged to the point of wanting to just give up. The Greek word that's translated lose heart, it's actually used several times throughout the, throughout the Bible. It means to grow weary to the point where you feel that you don't have any more strength to carry on. Certainly with all that's going on in the world right now, there's plenty to be disheartened about, to lose heart about and be discouraged about. There's a war in Europe. There's the economy, politics, not to mention things that are unique to your life, which nobody else might know about, difficulties and hardships that you face uniquely and individually. And the question is this, how do you keep from losing heart in the midst of trying times? Paul the Apostle was certainly a person who was well acquainted with trying times. He knew a lot about them. In fact, that's a major theme of this letter. Paul has been talking about the trials and difficulties and the hardships he faced in his life and in his ministry. In chapter 1, in fact, Paul told us that at one point in his life, he was so utterly burdened beyond his strength that he despaired of even life itself. But now here in chapter 4, Paul is going to use this phrase twice where he says, so we do not lose heart. He uses it here in verse 1. Then he uses it again in verse 16. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. And the question is, what was it that kept Paul from losing heart in the midst of trying times? Well, he tells us here in verse 1. He says, therefore, here's why we don't lose heart. Because we have this ministry by the mercy of God. And what does he mean by this ministry? Well, the ministry he's referring to is something that he discussed in the previous chapter, in chapter 3, which we studied in our sermon last week. In chapter 3, if you just flip back there real quickly, you'll notice this. In verses 8 and verse 9, Paul talks about two ministries, but they're really the same thing. First, he talks in verse 8 about the ministry of the Spirit. And then in verse 9, he talks about the ministry of righteousness. But both these terms refer to different aspects of what we call the gospel. The gospel is the central message of Christianity, the central message of the Bible. It's the central message of the Christian faith. It's the good news of what God has done for us through Jesus. Now, what, is, what are these two ministries, the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of righteousness? Again, they talk about different aspects, different angles on the same gospel. The ministry of the Spirit means that it isn't us who save ourselves through our own good behavior, but it's God who saves us by His Spirit who regenerates us and makes us into new creations in Him. 
Now, the ministry of righteousness, on the other hand, refers to the fact that we are not saved by our own righteous acts, but we are saved when by Jesus, right? Jesus, the only truly righteous person who ever lived, he took the judgment for our sins in our place on the cross and in exchange, he offers you his righteousness as a gift so you can be in a relationship with God. Here's how Paul describes this ministry of righteousness, this aspect of the gospel in chapter 5 here in this same letter. He says this, For our sake he, that's God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then Paul says here in verse 1 of chapter 4 that all of this is by the mercy of God. Mercy means that it is undeserved. It's not something you have earned. It's not something you have deserved. It's given to you as a gift of God. What Paul is talking about here is the gospel. The good news of what Jesus has done for us, that is the reason why, he says, we don't lose heart in trying times, because we have the hope of the gospel. He goes on to tell us more about the gospel in verse 2. He says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So Paul's saying, look, I have no interest in changing the message of the gospel in an attempt to make it more palatable or to make it more seem more exciting. You know, sometimes people today will suggest that, you know, if you're talking about Jesus, you ought to do things to kind of either kind of tune it up, right, to make it more appealing or to kind of water it down to take off the hard edges. They might say, hey, you shouldn't talk about sin because that just makes people feel bad. Or you shouldn't use the word hell because that's such a downer, right? So negative. The problem is that Jesus himself talked about those things a lot, actually, because those things are the very reason why he came. They're what he came to save us from. See, when Paul talks about tampering with the word of God, that word tamper is a word that is used, it was used in ancient times, of merchants who would water down wine in order to make a greater profit. In some cases, it wasn't just that they would water it down. Sometimes they would add foreign substances to it in order to, again, make a bigger profit for themselves. And in the same way, there are those today who might water down the gospel or water down God's word, right? Try to take off the rough edges by changing it, right? Or they might change the gospel, add things to it in order to make it seem more appealing, to kind of spice it up, right? But by doing so, rather than improving the gospel, they're actually removing its power and giving a different gospel, which isn't actually good news at all. For example, in Paul's time, there in Corinth, there were people, and this is what he's responding to, there were people who were preaching a watered-down and adulterated gospel that essentially said this, if you become a follower of Jesus, then everything in your life will go great. You won't have any problems. God will insulate you and protect you from bad things happening to you. Now, that message may sound appealing, 
But of course, the problem is it's not true. And you know what? Not only is it not true, it's also not even helpful, right? It might seem appealing at first, but when, when push comes to shove in real life, it's not actually helpful. And here's why. Because eventually, trying times will come into your life. And when they do, what you need is the real gospel to keep you from losing heart. The real gospel may not seem as appealing or glittery at first, but in reality, it's the only message that truly has the power to save and to help. Because the simple, straightforward message of the gospel is that Jesus came not just to improve your standard of living, but Jesus came to save your soul by giving his life as a ransom for yours. But here's the question that some people would have asked, and they did ask at that time. They would have said, okay, but if the simple, straightforward message of the gospel is so great, like you say it is, Paul, if it doesn't need anything to be added to it to make it more appealing or more exciting, if it doesn't need to be watered down a little bit to make it more palatable, then Paul, why is it that more people don't believe it? Why aren't people knocking down the doors of your church, right? If you say we don't need to add anything to it to spice it up or, or, or remove anything from it to make it more appealing, then why aren't people just lining up to believe it? And Paul answers that question in verse 3. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The reason more people don't believe the gospel is not because there's something wrong with the gospel. It's because there's something wrong with us as human beings. The issue is a spiritual one. Those who don't believe, it says here, have been blinded by the God of this world. Now, when Paul talks about the God of this world, he's talking about Satan. And some people find that a little bit confusing, right? They can say, well, wait a second. Doesn't the Bible say the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof? Doesn't it say that God is the God of the whole universe? Of course, he's the God of the world, isn't he? Why would it say then that Satan is the God of this world? Well, think about it like this. When the Bible talks about the God of the Egyptians, for example, it's referring to the God whom the Egyptian people worshipped, even though we know that the God they worshipped in Egypt was no God at all, right? Because there's only one true and living God. Well, in the same way, the God of this world refers to the one whom people in this world worship practically, which it's saying here is ultimately, at the end of the day, Satan. Now, the reason why more people don't believe the gospel, Paul says, is because their minds have been blinded by Satan. You know, the word Satan, it's not like his, his official name, right? It's not like it's on his birth certificate or he gives you his driver's license and says, Mr. Satan, no last name. He's just like Madonna, just Satan, one name, right? No, uh, Satan is a, is a, is a, descriptive word. It means something. In Hebrew, it means adversary, right? It describes who he is and what he does. And Jesus, he tells us that, Jesus told us that the, one of the primary ways that Satan attacks us is by telling us lies. For example, in John chapter 8, Jesus said this about Satan. He said, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so one of the ways that Satan blinds the minds of people who don't believe is by telling lies. 
lies about God and lies about themselves in order to keep people from turning to Jesus and receiving the gift of God's grace through faith in him. So then the question is, how can those who have been blinded by Satan have their eyes opened so they can see the goodness of the gospel and believe? Well, look at what it says in verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Listen, you and me, in our own strength, in our own convincing words, we can't convince anybody to believe. We can't open blind eyes. Only the light of God's glory and truth can do that. And just like when God created the world, he spoke into the darkness and he said, let there be light. Well, in the same way, God has sent his light into the world. The Bible, the scriptures, God's word, in the Bible, God's word is referred to as light. And Jesus is called the living word. In him is the light, it says in John chapter 1, which gives life to all who believe in him. And that's why as we read here in chapter 3, verse 16, in the previous chapter, if you look back, it says in chapter 3, verse 16, that whenever anyone turns to Jesus in faith, the veil which covered their eyes is removed. So think about it like this. Satan's ability to blind people may be great, but God's ability to bring light into the darkness and open blind eyes is greater still. And the way God does this is through his word, both through the written word of the scriptures and through the living word, Jesus Christ. In the creation of the world, God spoke into the darkness and he said, let there be light. And in a similar way, when God shines his light into your heart, you become a new creation. You're born again, not physically, but spiritually. You become an heir of eternal life because in Jesus Christ, your sins have been atoned for by what he did on the cross, his death on the cross. The barrier that stood between you and God has been removed. And here's what that means for your life practically, in a very practical way. Look at verse 8. It says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. What he's saying here is this. This is what the hope of the gospel does in your life when you have this hope, when it sinks down from your head into your heart, when it becomes real in your life. It means that even the very worst things that can happen to you in this life, in the face of those things, you can be resilient and you can have hope because your hope is not based in the things of this world. And therefore, nothing in this world can take away the hope that you have if your hope is in Jesus. You know, I just spent a week with a bunch of Ukrainian church leaders in Austria. That's where I was this past week. Uh, we used some funding that we have through our network of churches through Calvary Chapel to host a retreat for those who have been involved on the front lines since the war began there in Ukraine, providing aid and taking care of those in need. And here's what's so interesting. You know, we had over 100 church leaders there and aid workers from all over uh, Ukraine, people who've been in really horrific situations. And rather than cursing God in the midst of their hardship, they were praising God. In fact, every night after we would conclude, they would just want to keep on going, right, with praise and worship and seeking the Lord and praying for each other. And, you know, many of these people 
There are people who've had to flee their homes. Some of them, their homes have been destroyed. Many of them have have family members who are right now living in constant danger. Many have friends who have died or been injured. And I asked one man who was there, he's a pastor in the city of Zaporizhia, which maybe some of you have heard of there in Ukraine. It's 20 kilometers from the front line right now. I asked him, you know, with this war, uh, what's, what's the effect that it's having on people in Ukraine? Because I'll tell you this, I told him, you know, a lot of people in the West, they, they surmise that when things like this happen, it causes people to turn from God and curse God and shake their fist at God. God, why would you let this happen? In fact, uh, we, we had some people from the U.S. who came to this conference. They were saying, oh, I bet all these people are really struggling with turning uh, to God. I bet they're all struggling, you know, wanting to turn away from God or be angry at God. And so I asked this pastor, what, what is the effect? Are people in Ukraine, is this war causing them to turn to God or turn away from God? And he said, without question, this war is causing people in Ukraine to turn to God. Because what this war made very apparent is that they, they need a hope beyond this life. Because this life is fleeting. And everything you have can be lost in an instant. The war has made it crystal clear that there is evil in the world, that material things are temporary, and that death is inevitable. So this war has caused many who were not Christians to begin seeking the Lord, and those who were already Christians, rather than becoming embittered towards God, it's only caused them to go deeper in their holding on and clinging to Jesus because they're reminded of why they put their faith in Jesus in the first place, why they hope in him. You see, what Paul is telling us here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, is that the hope of the gospel, this is what it enables you to do, to face even the most difficult situations that life can throw at you and not lose heart. Because our hope in the gospel is a hope that goes beyond this world. You know, in the gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus made his disciples and us, he made a promise. Here was his promise. In this world, you will have tribulation. Now, you know, there are these like, uh, you can buy these books like Bible promises. Here's a hundred Bible promises. I wonder if they include this one in there. You know, some people like to get like Bible verses tattooed on their body so they can say, I love this Bible verse. I never want to forget it. I want to remember it for the rest of my life. You know, they put it on a sticky note, put it on their mirror so they can look at it every morning while they're getting ready, be reminded and encouraged before they head out into their day. Well, this isn't generally one of those verses, right? This is not one of those verses that people get tattoos of or put on sticky notes for themselves to look at every day. As far as promises in the Bible go, I'd say this one's probably one of the least popular. People look at this verse, and you know what they say? They say, man, that is not encouraging. But you know what? I think about this, and I was thinking about it a lot this week, and I have to tell you this. I think that's not true. I think that these words of Jesus are incredibly encouraging. Maybe you should get them tattooed on yourself. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. That's up to you. But you know, maybe, maybe you should put them on a sticky note and re- read them every week. You know why these words of Jesus are so encouraging? In this world, you will have tribulation. What's encouraging about that? Here's what's encouraging about that. Because what it means is that when you face difficulties and hardships, trials and pain in your life, you know what it means? It means it's not a sign of God's absence. It means it doesn't mean that God has abandoned you or failed you. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care. Rather, difficulties, hardships, pain, and suffering, they are part and parcel of life in a broken world. And yet you might ask the question, well, if God really loves us, then why doesn't he do something to stop these things? And friends, I'm here to tell you today that he has. 
That is the very point of the gospel. That God came to us. He so loved the world. He came to us in the person of Jesus Christ to put an end to sin, suffering, and death forever through his life, death, and resurrection. Because look, here's the deal. Jesus didn't only say, in this world you will have tribulation. That was just the first part. You know what he said after that? He said, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's the ultimate hope that we have in Jesus. That because of what he accomplished for us, a day is indeed coming for those who trust in him when all striving and suffering will cease, when every tear will be wiped away, when all that is broken in this world will be set right and made new. And that hope, when you really have that hope, you know what it does? It puts steel in your spine. It makes you bold. It puts fuel in your tank to keep you going and keep you from losing heart in the midst of trying times. You know, there's actually one more reason, though, why we don't lose heart in the midst of trying times. And that leads us to the second part of our sentence. Trying times provide unparalleled opportunities for growth and for God's work. Look at what it says in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The treasure that Paul's talking about here is the light of God's glory that he talked about in verses 5 and 6 that has now shown into our hearts in the face of Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 6, we read about how God shines this light into your heart. And when that happens, it does something in you that changes you and transforms you. You become a new creation. You move from death to life, from blindness to sight. But here in verse 7, Paul is telling us this, that when God shines his light in your heart, not only does it do something in you that changes you, but then you also become a carrier, a vessel, a vehicle to spread that light with you wherever you go in the world and in your life. Paul describes the kinds of vessels that we are, though, here in verse 7. He says, you know what we're like? We're like clay jars, jars of clay. In the ancient world, the most common kind of container, the cheapest kind of container, the most common, was a clay jar. Now, there were other kinds of containers, you know, containers that were more durable, that were better looking. There were glass containers. There were alabaster containers. There were metal containers. And those were a lot more sturdy. They didn't crack as easily. And you know what? They were a lot better looking because a clay jar is literally just made of mud that dried. But a jar of clay, it was common. It wasn't particularly glamorous. It was easily chipped, easily cracked, and easily broken. And Paul is saying, you know what? That's what we're like as human beings. We're like clay jars, not particularly glamorous, and we're easily broken. And you know, these clay jars, it is a picture of us. God, it says in the Bible, God created us from the dust of the earth and to the dust we will return when our time here on earth is over. And yet God has chosen to place the immeasurable riches of the light of his glory inside of us who believe. He's given us the task of carrying his glory into the world for others to see. And the reason why God chose us, we're told here, to be vessels, to carry his light into the world is so that when people see us and they see the light of his glory in and through our lives, that it would be abundantly clear to them 
that that is actually God's work in our lives. It's not just us being awesome. It's not just us being great. We're like the cardboard box that holds the diamond ring. God has chosen for us to be vessels that take his light into the world, not because we're so awesome, but actually because of our weakness, because of our cracks, because of our brokenness, because those things make it abundantly clear that God's power in our lives is actually from God and not from us. See, God has placed his light inside of us who believe. And sometimes it's actually when we are broken that the light he has placed within us shines forth from us most clearly and brightly for others to see. It reminds me of a story which is found in the book of Judges, chapter 7. It's the story of Gideon. Maybe you, maybe you remember the story. God called Gideon to be the one to lead the people of Israel to deliver them from the oppression of the Midianites. But the way God told him to do that was really interesting. God told Gideon to take only 300 men from Israel. And they were to go at night, in the dark of night, and surround the camp of the Midianites. And each of these men was told to have two things in their hand. In the one hand, they would have a trumpet that they would blow once they got into position. In the other hand, they would have a clay jar. And inside that clay jar, there would be a torch which was burning brightly. So here's what they did. On the night of the event, right, they lit their torches, put them inside the clay jars to hide the light, and they walked with a trumpet in one hand, the clay jar in the other hand, and they walked in the cover of night and surrounded the camp of the Midianites. And when Gideon finally gave the, the, the signal, what they did is they broke those clay jars, which revealed the brightness of that light, and they blew the trumpets to wake up the Midianites. And when the Midianites heard the trumpets, they stumbled out of their tents and they saw all these lights surrounding them and they thought that they were surrounded by a humongous army. And as a result, Israel won the victory. Well, in the same way that the clay pots which held the bright light of those torches, they had to be broken in order for the light within them to shine forth, Sometimes that is true in our lives as well. We have this precious treasure, the light of the glory of the knowledge of God inside of us. And oftentimes it is when the clay pots of our earthly lives are broken that the light of the knowledge of God within us becomes most evident to those around us. It's, you see, it's when you're afflicted but not crushed. It's when you're perplexed, but not driven to despair. It's when you're struck down, but not destroyed, because you have the hope that only comes from the gospel. And that hope leads you to love and forgive even when you've been hurt. It leads you to trust in the Lord even in the face of uncertainty and hardship. Those are the times when the light that God has placed within you through the knowledge of him can be seen most clearly, most evidently by your friends and neighbors, by your family and co-workers uh, as they observe your life and see that there's something different about you because there's something in you. There's something you have which keeps keeps you from losing heart in the midst of trying times. You see, sometimes it's when we are broken that God's light shines forth from our lives most clearly and most brilliantly. That's why Paul says in verse 10, we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested or may be evident in our bodies. You see, there are some aspects of God's work in our lives and through our lives that can only come about through suffering. That was certainly true of Jesus. 
And the power of the resurrection, it's something that is often experienced only in the wake of death. We're told in places like James chapter 1 and Romans chapter 5 that the fiery trials that we face in this life are unparalleled opportunities for growth, for our growth, and for God's work. It reminds me of something I, I read about recently, how on August 27th, 1883, the Indonesian island of Krakatoa exploded. It's a volcanic island. And the volcano that makes up the island exploded with the force of more than 10 atomic bombs. And that entire island, everything on the island died. It was absolutely catastrophic. Every person, every plant, every animal, it was completely decimated. In fact, it sent this cloud that covered the entire world at that time. We read reports from, the, from North America, from the United States, how fire brigades were going out at night because they didn't have news at the time, right? So they were going out trying to figure out where the smoke was coming from. It was coming all the way from Indonesia. And when people, scientists, were finally able to go there and explore Krakatoa only four months after the explosion. They determined, they even wrote down, they believed that nothing would ever live on Krakatoa again. It was so incredibly devastated. But then, within just a few years, life came back to Krakatoa. At first, it was because of seeds which were carried by birds from other islands. But then something surprising happened that people hadn't expected. And that is that there were seeds of certain trees which had been uh, on the ground or in the soil and had been dormant for 10, even hundreds of years. And yet it was only the heat of that volcanic explosion which had the power to open up and crack those hard seeds, to open up those seeds. Only the heat of that volcano was able to open those seeds that had laid dormant in the ground for many years. And, and when that happened, these, these things grew. And so if you were to go to Krakatoa today, you know what you'd find? You'd find that the landscape of the island is completely different than it used to be before the eruption. There are, there are new bays in the, in the island that didn't exist before. There are mountains that used to be there that don't exist anymore. They're completely gone. The entire landscape of the island has changed, and yet Krakatoa today is a place that is teeming with life. And you know what? Trying times can have that effect on our lives as well. Trying times, can't they? They can change the entire landscape of your life. They can make your life look completely different than it did before. It can feel as if in the wake of something difficult like that, that this is something from which you will never recover. And yet we don't lose heart because we have the hope of the gospel. And just like with Krakatoa, you know what? The fiery trials that we experience in this life, they can also have the ability to open up the seeds of new growth that couldn't have been opened up otherwise. The way to not lose hope in the midst of trying times is to put your trust in Jesus. In him, there is hope in even the most difficult of circumstances because he has overcome the world. He lived a perfect life of obedience to God. He died a sacrificial death in your place for your sins. And he rose from the grave, defeating sin, death, and the devil. And through him, because of what he did, you can be forgiven. You can be made righteous. You can have eternal life if and as you receive his light into your life by trusting in him and what he did to save you. 
the light of the gospel makes us resilient because it gives us a hope that goes beyond this life. And you know what else? It fills our lives with purpose. Purpose to know God by walking in the light of the knowledge of his glory and to shine that light through our lives for others to see so they too can be brought from darkness to light and from death to life. Friends, the light of the gospel gives us hope in trying times, which provide unparalleled opportunities for growth and for God's work. Would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.